Amen. You may have a seat. Um, so I apologize. I am not feeling super well this morning. I've been uh, been battling this uh, weird cold all week, where like I have the symptoms of everything. Like uh, I like my stomach hurts, and I'm, I have the chills and a fever and a sore throat, and so. Um, just I haven't felt really well this week. So Josh uh, out at the cafe made me this like weird concoction of like everything I dislike in the world. It has tea and like peppermint and honey in it and it's supposed to make me feel better. So if you see me pick this up and drink it and then make a face like eh, that, like that's why because I don't feel good uh, at all. So um, we started this thing a few months ago called check-ins for change. So uh, if you have a Facebook account, we just encourage you to um, check in uh, at Faith Mountain on Facebook. Um, last month, uh, we had um, 333 uh, shoeboxes that we're able to send out simply because you check in on Facebook. So um, I encourage you to check in on Facebook. This month, we're doing uh, something different. We have uh, this thing that we do here uh, in December called Santa Shop, where uh, people from our community are able to really come through our church and uh, treat it like a shop for their kids, and they're not able to uh, afford um, toys for, for their kids or for their family. And so this month, what we're doing is uh, your check-in will provide three invitations to our Christmas Eve service for people at Santa Shop. So we're going to do something really cool with that. So I encourage you to check in on Facebook. If you are a Bible user, a physical Bible user, we're going to start in Matthew 28. Uh, today and then we're going to go over to to Second Corinthians. So if you want to kind of bookmark there, if you're a U version Bible user, um, go into the U version Bible app on the right side. You'll see something on the bottom that says More. If you click on that, uh, click on then Events, and we'll pop up, and you can follow along with the message that way. And then finally, if you're a kid, we have this thing called Basecamp Buzzwords, where we encourage kids to follow along with the sermon uh, and fill in the blanks and do all kinds of fun stuff. Um, that goes along with the message. So I'm going to start off this morning with uh, Jesus's last words to uh, his followers. And so this is what this is what Jesus says uh, at, to his disciples uh, right before he ascends into heaven. And it says uh, in Matthew 28, starting in verse uh, 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what, what Christians call the, the Great Commission. It's Jesus' last words to his disciples. These words are, are so powerful, and that's why we're here today, right? Because Christians throughout the centuries have, have really believed in this, this call that we are supposed to evangelize, that we're supposed to, to make disciples who, who make disciples. They, they've shared the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection, so somebody then has shared those truths with us, and that's why we're here. So this morning, we're going to talk about what evangelism, what, what sharing your faith really looks like in 2016. So when I, when I talk about evangelism this morning, I, I want to really clarify what I'm talking about when I say 
uh, that word. I, when, I, when I talk about evangelism this morning, I'm talking about telling somebody about Jesus and making a case for the gospel. So we're in a series called No Apologies, and we want to best equip you to make disciples and to rationally defend our faith. So um, typically as Christians in, in the church, we think of evangelism in, in one of two ways. The first way is we think of uh, public evangelism, and then we think of relational evangelism. And, and so both of which I think are dead. I think evangelism in 2016 is dead. So public evangelism and relational evangelism. Public evangelism is when we go out and we evangelize, where we go out and uh, you've seen these people uh, maybe on the, the 16th Street Mall, right? And they're, they're preaching to you about hellfire and brim, brimstone. I actually... One of the best sermons I ever heard was I was in Times Square and is one of those street preachers. Uh, so his his words were great. His method was was wrong. And so we think of public evangelism as going door to door, giving out tracts, uh, preaching from the sidewalk, um, inviting someone over, maybe with the sole intention of evangelizing them, of presenting the message of the gospel. And I've loved doing a public evangelism. Like I, like that's how I grew up in high school. That's what my youth group did is we did public evangelism. So I would go on, I would go on mission trips. We would go door to door. Like I would witness in every taxi that I was ever in. And, and so they just stopped picking me up. Um, <coughs> on, our, on our honeymoon, um, we went to, uh, we were on this cruise, on this cruise ship, and we went to Cozumel, Mexico. And one of the great things we were able to do there is we were able to ride dolphins. And so uh, we are riding dolphins, and uh, my wife and I went, and one of us put on sunscreen, and the other didn't. And so my wife was uh, held up in our little uh, cruise um, cabin for a couple days, just like burnt red. Like, she was actually more like purple. Like, she just... She just laid there and was like, uh, don't touch me, like no blankets, like just just leave me. I am like destroyed red. And so I was like, I was sitting in there and, you know, trying to comfort her like a good husband does. But then it, it was boring. So I, <laughs> I, uh, I decided I'm going to go do some public evangelism like any good Christian on a, on a cruise ship, right? They had a, a casino there in the cruise ship. So I went down in the casino and... I just started conversations about Jesus, and that's how that's how I did evangelism for probably a, a few years. And so, uh, but here's the, here's the problem with with public evangelism is that most people most people don't process life changing information in an instant, right? Most people don't process like Jesus really died for me, and I can be reconciled with Him, and I can have spend eternity with Him. They don't process that in like a, a one time meeting. It's difficult. It's difficult to understand. It, it's hard to hear the message from a street preacher on the 16th Street Mall come to a conclusion. Yeah, I'm a sinner and I need to repent. So I presented the, the gospel as like this one shot deal, expecting people to move from being like the worst of the worst to to like saint immediately. And like and, and I was wrong. I, I expected them to move from like Walter White to Billy Graham just like overnight. And it, it just doesn't happen from darkness to light right away. And I never really allowed the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. So there's one one of the problems that that is with uh, public evangelism, I think, is that the other is that is that people really don't understand our message that, that times have changed. Um, when I when I tell someone, when I tell a, a high school student that uh, about Jesus, they really don't understand the Jesus that we're talking about or the words that we use to communicate the Jesus that we love. Right. They don't understand when I tell someone that Jesus died for your sins uh, it's like they, they don't under, understand their response is, well, 
gee, I'm sorry to hear that. Like they don't they don't get that that message. People don't know who Jesus is. They don't know what sin is and they don't think they need somebody to die for them. So it used to be that, that, that Christians who shared their convictions and their beliefs and the, the guy who would go on the cruise ship in the casino, that they were just seen as, as passionate and that they, they were passionate about their faith. But, but our country is moving more and more post-Christian. Our country is moving more and more uh, post-Christian. So we're not seen as passionate anymore, but Christians are now seen as extreme and radical. According to uh, Barna Research, the majority of people say that if you share your faith with another person, you are a religious extremist on the same level as ISIS militants. Outspoken Christians, outspoken Christians, while not physically violent, are viewed in, in some cases as worse. We are socially violent. The majority of people see Christians who share their faith as a threat to society. If you try and share your, your beliefs with a, a friend, a co-worker, or even your kids, the majority of people in the United States see you as a religious extremist. And so uh, I was reading an article in The Atlantic, and this is, uh, this is a quote for, uh, from this article. It says, for these folks, these uh, non-Christians, a life lived with religious conviction is not just countercultural or counterintuitive, but dangerous. Even damaging. In their view, if you raise your children to embrace the, the same convictions, you are beyond extreme. You may be criminal. Welcome to 2016 Christianity. This is why I think public evangelism, uh, in the eyes of, of our culture, is dead. That we can't do it anymore. So a few years ago, I think the church caught on to this, that a few years ago, people stopped going door to door. They stopped giving out tracts. They stopped really doing this this one-shot public evangelism, and move to more of uh, a relational evangelism method. You've probably heard that, that term used before, relational evangelism. Get to know people, and then you share the gospel as it, as it comes up naturally, right? And so uh, while this is still seen as extreme in the eyes of our culture, it's, it's a more natural way to share what you believe. And, and I, I like it. I think it's a great idea, a great concept to, to really share the thing that matters most in your life as you build a relationship with someone uh, to share the, the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection and the forgiveness of sins as you get to know someone. And, and the motto for this type of sharing, and it may be your, your life first uh, or your life quote, I guess, is uh, often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And it's, uh, it's this. It says, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. And so, um, don't raise your hand if this is your, your life first, because I may just destroy it. Um, <coughs> um, we, we've used this uh, quote here to, to illustrate how your, your words and your deeds should match, right? That you should be a Christian who, who both speaks about Jesus, but also demonstrates that Jesus has worked in your life. Uh, however, I've heard it used in, in other places to essentially say that if you live your life uh, a certain way, then people will know you are Christian. Your good morals and your good behavior will show people something that, that they need in their life. And then that, that someone could hypothetically come to believe in Jesus without you ever telling them about Jesus. And so I've heard it, it used that way. But, but personally, I just have a, a few problems with the, with the quote. And the main one 
is that that St. Francis of Assisi never said it. It's a, it's a quote that's attributed to him, but historically it's inaccurate. He never said it. It's attributed to him like 400 years after he died. It's like, it's like saying Abraham Lincoln once said, if you don't know the answer to something, Google it. It's just, it's not historically accurate. And so, um, that's the first problem I have with it is that it's not historically accurate. The second is that we don't have a wordless gospel. That, that inherently the, the gospel has to be told by someone. And that after all, like in John chapter 1, right, Jesus is the word. And, and so we have to share the, the words of Jesus. Uh, Paul in Romans says, how can they believe in him uh, whom they have not heard? And how would it, will they hear without a preacher? And so uh, those are two reasons why I, I think that, that this idea of preaching the gospel without words is, is ridiculous. And the, the third is that uh, most non-Christians don't have any kind of relationship with a Christian. Most non-Christians don't have any kind of relationship with a Christian. This is why I think relational evangelism is dead as well. Because if we say that we are going to build relationships with these, with these non-Christians and then share, share the truth about Jesus over time, the truth is that those people don't actually know that, that we're Christians. And so one in five people don't know a Christian. One in five non-Christians don't know a Christian at all. They couldn't name one. And so uh, what's even more damaging is that eight out of ten people who say that they know a Christian don't know one personally, that they don't have a relationship with a Christian. And so I think that that from this we can we can come to the conclusion that the idea of the gospel spreading through relational evangelism is dead because most non-Christians can't can't say that they have a relationship with a Christian. So how do we do relational evangelism? If you're trying to reach that, that non-Christian at work by living out your faith in front of them, they probably don't even know that you're a Christian. And so relational evangelism, this idea of sharing the gospel over time with someone, it, it doesn't work either because most non-Christians don't even know that you're a Christian. And even if you share it with them, they, 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 they still won't, won't get it. And so I... Uh, I, I, when I was in uh, college, I first heard this quote, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And I, I, I took it like literally, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do a test case. I'm going to test case with this lady at work. Her name was Eva. She didn't speak much English, so really I couldn't use my words well. Uh, anyway, so um, I, I worked at Pizza Hut, the hut. And if you, if you eat at Pizza Hut, if like Pizza Hut is your favorite restaurant, like we'll have a conversation later about that. But... Um, so she worked, she worked at Pizza Hut. She was a cook. I was a delivery driver. And so I pr- tried to preach the gospel without words to her. I tried to be the best Christian I could in front of her. So uh, all of my tips, I would give Eva a part of my tips. And uh, I would just be nice. And, like, I would do all the things that, that she was supposed to do. Like, I did her job for her. And I was I was just a, a great human to this one person at work, Eva. And, and so uh, over time, it was probably like two or three years, she... Uh, we developed a relationship, and we were able to talk a little bit. I learned some Spanish. She learned some English, and it was a, it was a good uh, conversation. And then about two, two or three years into the relationship, uh, she asked me, like, like what I believe. And I said, hey, I'm a Christian. She said, oh, I thought you were a Buddhist. And, and so the, <laughs> this, this idea of, of, of preaching the gospel that words by, by living your life and expecting people to see the way that you live and believing in Jesus because of the way you live, it just doesn't work. So 
by that, I have to say that, that relational evangelism is dead, and evangelism in, in 2016 is dead. And so what are, we, what are we left with? Where do we go from here? How do Christians live out the command of Jesus in Matthew 28 to go, therefore, and make disciples? The command is still there. It doesn't say, hey, I know things got hard in 2016. You don't have to do that thing anymore. Like, you don't have to tell people about me. I got it. Like, don't, don't worry. I'm coming back soon anyway. The election is this week. Uh, like, <laughs> like, it doesn't say that. And so, so we are, we're left with the, the struggle that, that the methods that we've used really don't work in our culture anymore. So what, what do we do? Is there a better model? And uh, I wouldn't be preaching this morning if I didn't think there is. And so... Paul writes uh, back to a church in 2 Corinthians that he started uh, in the city of Corinth. And he reminds them that the job of the Christian is to make Jesus known. And so Paul summarizes uh, the core message of the gospel at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 by saying that we, we have the love of Christ. We have the love of Christ. And because of that love, we proclaim this message that, that Christ died for mankind and that we can be reconciled and made right with God. And then, and then he says this, and this is where I want to spend the rest of our time today. He says, therefore, because of those things, we are ambassadors for Christ ambassadors, not, not a billboard. And I feel like for many years, Christians have been just okay with being billboards or advertisements for, for Jesus. And, and I think some of them were funny and some of them were convicting and some uh, annoying, right? Uh, but, but none of them memorable. And so God, God has planned more for you than that. You are an ambassador, not a billboard. The way that we used to evangelize is, is dead. And this needs to to take its place. And an ambassador is one of the most exalted titles that a Christian can claim. An ambassador is a representative of a, of a king or a country, and their job is to deliver a clear, concise message from the king or from the, from the government while also developing a relationship with the country that they are sent to. So, so these people, these ambassadors, are not just one-shot preachers trying to fit their message in, but but these are ambassadors. We are ambassadors trying trying to to live out our our faith in front of people while also telling them about the faith that that we that we hold to. So it's not it's a it's a change from from thinking of yourself as an evangelist. I don't really think of myself as an evangelist even when I'm doing evangelism. I think of myself as an ambassador, and I think it's an entirely different way of thinking about it. I don't try and close the deal. I try, I, be, I try best to, to represent Jesus and to let him do the work. So we are ambassadors for Christ, all of us, whether, whether good or bad. You, when you are a follower of Jesus, you're, you're sending a message about him all the time. And the thing about ambassadors is that ambassadors never clock out. Like ambassadors never clock out. They're always on the job. Ambassadors are always about the message of their, their kingdom. So one-shot evangelism doesn't work. Relational evangelism doesn't work. But, but being an ambassador for Christ means that you represent him everywhere you go. In, in your actions, you represent him. With, with your words, you represent him. You represent him all the time. And people today are not, not looking for formulas for all of their questions. What, what people need today is that people need to see God. And so the, the question that may be popping in your head, and, and I, know, I know because this would have been like bouncing in my head uh, just a few years ago if I were in your seat, is when do you get to the gospel? 
Like, when do you actually, like, tell people about the, the good news of Jesus and, and the death, burial, and resurrection, the forgiveness of sin and sin, and that they're, they're broken and they need Jesus? When do you actually get to that with people? And so what, what has changed in me is, is that now I get to the gospel when I want. And what I mean by this is I don't feel artificially forced to squeeze the gospel into every circumstance, whether it's appropriate or not. I don't feel artificially forced when I'm on the plane next to someone to, hey, I have an hour with them. I could probably lay out a good case for for Jesus. Like, I don't feel artificially forced to do that anymore. My commitment front and center is to be an ambassador for Christ. It's not an excuse to hide my faith in the back closet, but it's a biblical rationale and view of our culture to be more effective in the way that I communicate the truth of Jesus. So when the conversation is ripe, to, I bring in the truth of the gospel there. So, so when I'm having a conversation with someone, if it leads to talking about my faith in sin and Jesus and his death, then I get to that. But if the conversation is about how the Broncos are going to beat the Raiders tonight, I don't have to squeeze in Jesus into that conversation. <laughs> So a lot of my hesitation, and I really struggled with with this this week because um, I, I want this to like instantly happen for people. Like I want people to like instantly get it. Like I want people to like I want you to step out of this room uh, today with like this whole new perspective. How you are you are now ambassadors, and you're all like willing to go wherever and do whatever, and you're you're speaking about Jesus everywhere you go. Like I I want that. I want that. But but. In reality, it doesn't happen like that. If we expect like an immediate life change in people, we expect that, that something we expect something that G, even Jesus didn't accomplish. I, I, could, I take the, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 as a responsibility for all Christians, which it is. And our purpose as Christians is to be ambassadors for Jesus, to make more ambassadors for Jesus. But what I learned lately is that being a good ambassador is a process. So, so Jesus spent significant time with his disciples before he sends them out two by two in Luke chapter nine. It's the first mission trip in the, in the New Testament, right? Like Jesus spent significant time with them uh, before he does that. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 is directed at the disciples. And, and Jesus doesn't command them to make disciples until they have spent three years getting trained by him. And so being an ambassador is, is impossible if you don't know who you're an ambassador for. So Greg Kokel, in his message on this topic, really gives uh, three good characteristics of the ambassador. What, what should the ambassador look like? What should they do? How do, we, how do we go about being great ambassadors for Jesus? So I just really want to go through these real quick. Uh, the first one, uh, any good ambassador has to have knowledge. Uh, a good ambassador has to have knowledge. Uh, an ambassador has to know God and his intentions. You have to know the intentions of your king if you're going to be an ambassador for his kingdom. You have to know how to how to navigate conversation. You have to know like what what to talk about, right? And then the third is that you have to be able to to deal with obstacles when you encounter them. Know that when you are an ambassador for Jesus, that you are entering into a post-Christian society. When you talk about Jesus, you can't assume that people that you're talking to know who Jesus is. The second is that any good ambassador has to have wisdom. And so wisdom is not, is not the same as knowledge. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Wisdom is how do you use the knowledge that you have. It, it's how to be sensitive in our, our post-Christian culture. 
You have to be able to conversationally make your point. Because if you go into uh, uh, an ambassador relationship with someone and you want to portray the message of Christ and you go in with like this 30-minute lecture on the origin of the universe and how the Kalam cosmological argument is the best way to, to argue for for a, a creator, so like people aren't going to get it. But but conversations are better than lectures, and so and so you have to have knowledge, you have to have wisdom, and finally you you have to have character. And I feel like this is something that has really fallen short in our in our Christian world. I mentioned earlier that one in five people uh, don't know a Christian, and eight out of ten people um, who do know a Christian say that they. Uh, they don't have a relationship with one or they don't know one personally. And the, the sad reality of this is that, that the Christians that people do know, they don't want to be around. <laughs> your, your character is, is important because we've all seen Christians who have knowledge, who have wisdom, and tact, but they lack the character. And then we question their whole message, right? Donald Barnhouse says there are two reasons people don't become Christians. First is that they don't know any Christians, and the second is they do. <laughs> if we're going to be the kind of ambassadors to make a difference in the world, we have to have knowledge. We have to be, be wise about how we communicate God's message, and then we have to have the character that backs it up. And, and the reality is that we're moving further and further into this post-Christian society, but people are more and more open to having conversations about spiritual things. According to a, a Pew survey done last year, only 7% of people identify as atheist or agnostic, and about 9%, 9% of people say that religion isn't important to them. So what that says is the majority of people that you interact with every day are open to having religious conversations, open to having spiritual conversations. But you have to know what you're talking about. You have to be able to communicate it, and then you have to have the character to back it up. And so have you ever... Um, as Christians, have you ever pulled into work or you're like driving to see your family and you think, man, I'm going to, I'm going to represent Christ well today. Like, I'm just going to be a good ambassador of Christ. I'm just going to represent Jesus well in my work. Like I'm fueled up on my devotional and like three cups of coffee and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to take the world for Jesus. Like, have you ever done that? And then, and then like you get to work and like 20 minutes later, like you're like, did God fall asleep on his throne? Like what happened from the time I pulled into work to, to now? Like you wonder like what is happening? Obviously God hasn't called me to this. Like what, what is he doing? Like I felt so convicted and so ready to go when I first pulled in or when I first walked in the house ready to, ready to really live out my faith to my family. And then I get in the house and it's like, it's like a war zone. Like what is happening? There's poop on the walls. Like how did this happen? Like like, have you ever felt like that? Like you, you, you were so ready to go and then you get there and you're like, what are you doing? And I feel you like, like I feel the same way some Tuesday nights when uh, we get done playing some games with, with middle schoolers and we come back up into the youth room and I walk in there and I'm ready to talk about Jesus and uh, evangelize and be a good ambassador for Christ. But then this like poisonous funk hits my nose and I'm like, oh God, you did not send me to, to evangelize middle schoolers. Like, what are you doing? Like, obviously, I'm not here. I get on my phone, and I'm on monster.com trying to figure out, God, is this really what you called me to? Like, I get it. Like, that's the, like I get it. Like, um, for, for a lot of us, there's a, a huge fear in sharing. Like, what if, what if people ask a question I don't know? 
Or what if, what if I, I tell them about what I believe and they break off the relationship? Or, or what if, like, what if they bring up something that, that is just like dangerous or, or sketchy and I don't know how to, how to talk about it? Like, what if they just want to talk about creation all the time? God, I don't know, I don't know about dinosaurs. I don't know anything about dinosaurs. Like, what if they bring up that and like, I don't know chemistry and I don't know how to explain, uh, evolution and all that stuff. What if they do that? And so, so to that question, like, I, I don't know what to do. I'm intimidated. I don't, like, I don't know if God has really called me to, to share this. I, I want to share with you what, what Paul says next. He says, he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, right? Huge calling. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are the ambassadors for Christ. But then he says, God is making his appeal through us. I, I love that because what God could do, because we really believe he is God, right? Like he could put an HD TV screen in the sky every day and proclaim his message, but he doesn't do that. He chooses broken uh, people like us to proclaim his message. And I love that he, he chooses us. God is making his appeal through us. And so he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we may have a huge calling to be ambassadors for Christ, but, but we have a bigger God. We may have a huge calling, but we have a bigger God. And I love this because it clarifies really what our job is. Our job is to be messengers of, of God's message. Our God, our, our, we don't invent the message, and we're not responsible for how people respond to it. But, but we are ambassadors. We're just givers of the message. And I think these are some of the most comforting words in the Bible. And so I was looking at the different places where where Jesus or, or God tell, tells people to go out and to, to make disciples. And he just... Uh, over and over, he says that that I'm I'm with you. So so Jesus says, right? I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't stand against it. That that really we can't mess it up too bad because Jesus is the one who is building his church. Every instruction to go and make disciples in the New Testament has this this one very important caveat with it: that God is with you. That God is with you. He's working through you. In Acts chapter one, it says, "But you will receive power." When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It is it is God who's making an appeal to their hearts through us. We just have to be willing to go. And so another like it may be your like life quote and I'm just destroying your life quotes this morning. But another popular thing I've heard a lot lately is as you may be the only Bible some people ever read. I think that, that that's super sad. Like, if you are the only, if I'm the only Bible that my friends and my, my family and my na- neighbors ever read, me and my brokenness and my arrogance and my sin on display, if that is the Bible they're reading, then they will most likely spend eternity separated from God. They'll most likely spend eternity separated from the God that I want them to know. If you are the only Bible that your friends are ever going to read, that's sad. Get them a Bible. Read it with them. Struggle through it with them. Like, like... Bibles aren't hard to come by. They're on the internet. And so <clears throat> so we we are not we're not the only Bible that some people will ever read because we are ambassadors for Christ spreading his message and it, it's it's him working through us. So going back to to Jesus last words in the great commission the disciples are there and it says that that some of them doubted. And I love that. I think we skip skip across that a lot in the great commission but but like they're there and they're in front of a resurrected Jesus. And it says that, that some of them doubted. 
And you may be doubting too. You're like, can God really use me? Like, is this like what he wants me to do? Is this what I'm, I'm called to do? It says, but, but some of them doubted, but all of them worshiped. But some of them doubted, but, but all of them worshiped. So sometimes the, the best way to, to make it through your doubt is to worship through it. And, and Jesus gives them this instruction in the midst of their doubt. Like, God, how are you going to use me? God, I'm in a very anti-Jesus society. If you think you're in an anti-Jesus society, like the disciples are living and they just killed Jesus. If you, if you think you're in an anti-Jesus society, like they just killed him. Like, I'm in a very anti-Jesus society. After all, like, they just killed Jesus. Like, I don't know all the arguments. I don't know how you're going to use me. I don't know what to say or, or when to say it. And this is, what, this is what he says. He says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Be ambassadors. Make disciples all the time everywhere. And the reason you can do this is that he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Is that it is, it is God making his appeal through us. And so I want to I just want to lay out practically what this looks like so you could be the best ambassador you can be. And this is something that I discovered a while ago. And uh, a Navy vet, he was actually like the nuclear Navy. He, he turned church planter. His name is Todd Wilson. He's written a lot about this in terms of like finding your calling. So how do you know where you're supposed to go? Or what you're supposed to do. And so like college students or high school students, uh, like you ask this question all the time, right? How, how do I know, like, God, where do you want me to go? What career do you want me to be in? Where do you want me to go to college? And so uh, I really want to lay this out for you practically. And, and it's, it's really simple. It's be, do, go. You should have a slide on the screen behind, you, uh, behind me. So every Christian has a, a primary calling. And a secondary calling. The primary calling is common to Christians throughout history, all the time, everywhere. Uh, we are, are called to be disciples of Jesus with the, with the fullness of God in us who make disciples doing, carrying the message of Jesus everywhere we go. And so this is, is common to, to Christians all the time throughout, throughout history, everywhere. But we all have a, a secondary or a unique calling. How has God made me individually as an, as an ambassador? How has he equipped me uniquely to play my role in carrying out the message of Jesus wherever I go? What is my secondary calling? God, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go to college? What do you want me to do? Uh, do you want me in this career or in a different career? What do you want me to do? And then where should I do it? Where should I, where should I go? Um, where, where should I, I play, practically play out the, this uh, calling that you have for me? And so... B is, what is the design that, that God's got in me? What, what are my strengths? What are my faults? What are my passions? What are my burdens? What am I energetic about? What, what if um, I could do something for the rest of my life and be excited about doing it every single day? What, wh- who has God uniquely created you to be? What are your strengths? Um, what, what are the things, what are the, the things that have lined up over your life that are constantly like a theme throughout your life? Like I have been organized human being all my life, or I've been a pretty good communicator all my life, or I've been a pretty good leader all my life. And so look at those things. Who are you really? Like who has God uniquely created you to be? And I think a lot of times we figure out what we want to do and where we're going to go before we actually figure out who we are. And and so a lot of us like end up uh, 10 to 20 years into this and we like 
we end up in a midlife crisis and we end up like buying like crazy cars or motorcycles and we we do all this crazy stuff because we've never actually figured out who God has created us to be, and we're always figuring out, oh, well, uh, I don't like doing this anymore, so I'm going to do something else, and then I'm going to figure out where I'm going to do it, when we actually never figure out who God has created us to be. So who are you? What has God created you to, to who has God created you to be? And then the second is, is do. So here you take who God has created you to be, and you put it into action. And, and you, you really live out who you are in what you're doing. And so for some of you, it may be like, hey, I've been a pretty good communicator. I can, I could probably communicate the gospel message pretty well. And maybe something like this is attractive to you. Maybe for some of you, you're like, I don't like people and I don't like talking to people. I don't like looking to, at people. So maybe, maybe a different way. Uh, maybe God has created you in a different way. But, uh, I feel like a lot of times what we do is we just figure out something to do that pays us pretty well, so we just do it. And, and uh, Francis Chan uh, says this. He says, Our greatest fear should not be fear of failure, but fear, at, uh, fear of succeeding at things in life that really don't matter. And I feel like a lot of us, we have succeeded at things in life that really don't matter. I built up a great house and a great IRA, and like I, I built up some, some really good things, and... Um, and I'm doing a lot of cool things, and uh, I'm really frustrated in, in the way my life has turned out. And, and so we really need to figure out who we are and then what we should do. And I, I feel like a lot of times we want this to happen instantly, right? Like we want to figure out who we are, where we're, what we're going to do, and where we go. But, but Paul, after he meets Jesus on the Damascus Road, right, he has this experience with Jesus, like an instant conversion. It is like the epitome of an, like an instant conversion. He sees Jesus and he's like, yep, uh, I, I want to follow that guy. And so, so Paul, after he, he sees Jesus on the Damascus Road, we think like immediately he went into ministry and he did all these great things and he planted churches. But the reality is, is that, that Paul spent three years in Arabia figuring out who he is. He spent three years figuring out what, uh, who he is and then what he was supposed to do before he went. And so for, for you college students, I think that like your first two years in college, this is what those are, are meant for, right? Like you are meant to, to figure out who you are those first two years in college. Like that's why you take a lot of gen eds to, to really um, have a lot of uh, different experiences. So uh, first one is B. Who has God uniquely created me to be? And so for some of you, you're like, I've never even thought about that. I've never even thought about my spiritual gifts or my strengths or like how God has uniquely created me. I, I challenge you this week to, to think about that and to, to really dive into those things in your life group and to talk about like, who do you guys think I am and who, what do you see in me? And so the second one is do. What is God uniquely, what is the, the plan God has for you? What does God, God want for you to do? And then the last one is go. Where does God specifically want me to be? Where does God want me to be? Where does he want me to do what he has called me to do? And so the, the old methods, public evangelism and mass scale relational evangelism don't work for our culture. Uh, to, to really live out the, the Great Commission, we need to, to figure out who we are, what God has purposed for us to do, and then where we should go. Because at the end of the day, Christ is, is everything. And you are an ambassador for him, not a billboard. And so I want to close with this. One of my, my great heroes of the faith is a, is a guy named John Wesley. And I love Wesley because Wesley preached 40,000 sermons in his life. 
uh, Wesley traveled uh, over 250,000 miles by horseback. Like, that's a lot. Like, I, don't, I can't even put that much that many miles on my car and he put it on a horse it's amazing so he traveled 250,000 miles by horseback he worked with 15 different languages he produced over 600 pieces of literature uh, some of them just like massive massive books at the age of 83 he was angry at his doctor because his doctor wouldn't let him preach more than 14 times a week at the age of 86 uh, he wrote in his journal Laziness is slowly creeping in. There is an increasing tendency to stay in bed past 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> I pacify myself by saying he probably went to bed at like 6. So, uh, but, but if you go to, uh, if you go to Wesley's home in, near London and you uh, go in the backyard, there's this, this monument uh, to him. Uh, and you'll, if you go and you look at the monument, you'll see these words. Reader. If you feel constrained to praise the instrument, stop. Give glory to God. My life and your life have, have one simple purpose, to give glory to God. You're not only an instrument in the hands of a mighty God. Your job, your only job, is to be the best instrument that you can be all the time and to let God use you however he, he wants to use you. Because when you do, when you become the best instrument that you can be in the hands of a mighty God, that is when you'll find true satisfaction in who you are, what you're doing, and where God has you. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, come to you and we thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the comfort that you have in it, that, that your message isn't solely on our shoulders, but, but you are working in us and that you are working through us. And I, I pray today that, that we can be the best instruments that we can be for your glory. Father, thank you for the testimony of men like, like Wesley that, that even though uh, he did many mighty things, uh, that, that he looked to a greater God, a God who is bigger, and a God who is working through him. And Father, I just pray for the rest of our worship this morning that we can uh, truly lift up a great and wonderful God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.